Hey, this is Zach Catanzaro. And I'm Walker Lukens. We're the hosts of Song Confessional, the only podcast where today's top songwriters turn your anonymous stories into original songs. This week, we've got a salacious tale of train platforms and anonymous hookups. Austin songstress Buffalo Hunt transforms the confession into a cinematic indie pop gem, exploring the dark pleasures of our bad decisions. Listen to Song Confessional at KUTX.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. From KUT and KUTX Studios. Welcome to This Song, the podcast where artists talk about the songs that change their lives. I'm your host, Elizabeth McQueen, and in this episode, we're going to talk to a musician, Eric Owen from Black Pistol Fire, and then to the folks who help get the music he makes out to the world, Aaron and Chip Adams, who run Modern Outsider Records. Let's get started with Eric Owen. He's a drummer who, along with Kevin McKeon, makes up the duo Black Pistol Fire. They play serious, untamed rock and roll. And though they're not natives, they're from Toronto, Canada originally. Their home base is now Austin, Texas. They have a new record out called Don't Wake the Riot, which just came out on Modern Outsider Records. And they're about to embark on a massive tour. Right before they left, Eric came into KUTX to tell me about a song that really inspired him to finally do what his body had been telling him to do for a long time. Play the drums. So here he is, Eric Owen. I would have heard the song when I was 12 years old, even though it came out a couple years earlier. The song is In Bloom by the band Nirvana. already been out at that point for three or four years maybe but I was a little bit younger and it was the very first song I learned to play on the drums. Did you get the drum set so that you could play in bloom? Pretty much. Um, t- I think I would have been 12 years old and the seventh grade talent show was fast approaching or the grade seven talent show as we would call it in Canada. Oh, we call it grade seven as opposed to seventh grade. It's just you guys uh, are so culturally different. It's just a little bit different, you know. <laughs> um, so two of my friends, both named Michael, uh, Michael Rocha and Michael Chomich, were in. Uh, they were in a band. One had a bass and one had a guitar, and they needed a drummer. And we were into all the same kind of music at that point, which well, I mean, there wasn't much. It was kind of Nirvana for me. It was Nirvana, and that was almost it. I didn't really listen to a whole lot else. It was like the first band I ever got into, and I, I remember buying. I didn't buy the drum kit first, but I begged my parents to rent this drum kit. I didn't know how to play the drums at the time. I knew how to play the most simple beat. My uncle was a music teacher, and he took me to his class one day on, on an off day in spring break, and he t- and he taught me how to do the most simplistic drum beat possible. Your basic full four. So I learned how to do that one day, and then just kind of picked it up from there, and begged my parents to rent me this drum kit for this talent show and I had about a month before the, by the time I got the kit till we had the, sh- the the show and we had to audition and everything so in about two weeks I learned the song when I say learned 
I mean, I didn't do it perfectly because, I mean, Dave Grohl's a really good drummer, and of course I didn't match it note for note and, you know, certain inflections and little things there, but I got, you know, the basic, basic elements were down. I think the first way I really saw music was on Much Music, which was the Canadian MTV. The first Nirvana I ever heard would have been Unplugged in New York, because it was kind of recent when I was getting into music at that time. I think it came out in 94 or 93. So the first song I ever heard was actually about a girl. singles got released off that and then I got unplugged and then I remember the first time I ever saw the video to In Bloom they had on New Year's Day they had the top 100 music videos of all time countdown on much music and you'd see things like Thriller and, and current stuff as well from that year but they would go all the way back I remember seeing In Bloom I'm guessing it was in like the top 20 at that point I remember seeing it going wow I had no idea you know that they were mock, you know, uh, spoofing the Beatles at Sullivan Performance or anything but I remember just hearing that song and thinking it was really cool and then Smells Like Teen Spirit was like I think number one or two which of course was a whole other beast altogether at that time In Bloom just seemed um, I don't know, it just kind of spoke to me, maybe even more so than Smells Like Teen Spirit. I, at that time, I wasn't even a drummer yet. I hadn't been playing drums, but maybe I there's something in me or something. I'm not I'm not sure that there was a rhythm to it, and that that of of the intro was just so cool. first drum kit that actually I still have to this day. The first one that I bought with my own money that was pretty decent, I remember going in and asking the guys at the drum store that I would go to all the time, what's the way I can get the, sa the drums that sound closest to this? And it was Dave's drumming on both Nevermind and, and more than anything actually in utero, the sound of the drums, because it, it pops and it's clear and crisp but heavy. And um, I've never been a huge tone guy. I mean, uh, I'm not, I don't tune the drums forever. But something about those sounds, I wanted to try and recreate them. It was just, it, it, it came through. I mean, really, this song was really about the drums for you. It really like, it was. It wasn't about like the lyrics or the, the lyrics melody are really, or. The, the melody is really, I do really love the, the as, that aspect of the song, though. Just, um,. A lot of Nirvana songs um, on the DJ set we did here last year, I played Lounge Act from, from Nevermind, which is actually my favorite song, I would say, from the album. I don't kind of, actually know Lounge It's like a Act. deeper cut. Okay. It's like a deeper cut on the album, but Nevermind was my favorite thing about the album. is it, it's, it's heavy, but it's pop songwriting. You know, it really is, and there's little simple things in the arrangements, especially in, I mean, Lounge Act, my favorite thing is the third verse is the exact same as the first verse, but... Instead of just kind of singing it, he screams it. And it just gives, you know, this sense of urgency. It just kind of amps, it amps me up. It really does. And in Bloom, um, I watched 
this is a couple years ago they did classic albums and you know you ever seen that show uh it's no. a vh1 show where they break down classic albums they have the band and maybe the engineer or producer talking about certain things oh cool and they had butch vig behind the controls and showing certain things and in in bloom in particular you don't really realize that, but in the in the in the chorus, Kurtz doubled his vocal track. So there's two Kurtz singing, and then halfway through, for the second time, they sing "He's the One." Dave comes in, and it's harmonized there, and Dave also is double track. So you hear Butch Vig go through. Okay, here's one of Kurt, and then you hear that, and then you hear you know here's two Kurt tracks singing, and then here's Dave with one harmony, and here's Dave with two harmonies. It's, just, it's basically them doing the exact same take twice. Yeah. But you don't really realize it. I mean, I guess you do, but when you hear it broken down like that, it's just unbelievable it's amazing and when you're talking about that it's like that's such a pop thing to do such to a pop double pot to double vocals yeah is such a pop and then song. harmonize that yeah. with double vocals also in that song one thing i remember really noticing is the breakdown of i think the third verse is just bass and drums which I thought at the time was really cool because I didn't hear that that often it was just same as the, yeah, it was like same as the first verse um, everything was similar maybe not maybe not, I'm trying to think of it now lyrically it is but again similar melody and everything but just Kurt just doesn't play the guitar until uh, I guess the pre-chorus almost you know and then it kind of kicks in it just just little things in the arrangements which, which is a big thing for us because you know we're only two of us we you got to create those dynamics to keep things really interesting take something out put something in yeah. Take everything out. Um, so that's something that I probably didn't fully notice back then, but it's something now I think about um, is maybe helps shape us unconsciously or subconsciously, not unconsciously, subconsciously. Totally. Well, yeah. I mean, Nirvana was working as a trio, and you guys yeah. are a duo, and it's yeah. like, how do you do the most with the with fewest the amount of members? Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah. So that's a big part of yeah. If you hear a Black Pistol Fire song, you're not gonna you're not gonna hear Nirvana in it necessarily, <laughs> but um, for me, and I think Kev later on too, he really got into them. Uh, maybe a lot later than I did, but he really loves Kurt's songwriting. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, do you think some of that? I mean, it sounds like some of the drumming does still oh, retain today. Like absolutely. it's like it's not, it's not flashy. Mm-mm. It's and it's very groove oriented, which I feel like yeah. Dave Grohl is a very he's like heavy hitting. Yeah. Guy. But pretty like some of the stuff in Bloom is one in particular that is very groovy. It's that like a do do. That is one of the Nirvana at times is, is not groovy at all. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> but that one in particular, right, is very groovy. Which is the way I kind of look at the drums and rhythm is I, I want to rock. You know, I want like people to thrash their heads about and whatnot. But it's got to have an element of groove to it. Otherwise, you're just bashing away is all well and good. But if you can't get people to like kind of tap their feet and maybe at least remotely dance to a song, then you know what are you doing? My, my honey, live with you have done. Take back what you said, I'm a rebel change. Down in the river to drown my fear I took two steps in, then I taste the pavement I know you know, she said Don't let me catch you coming back my way I know you know, she said Baby, bless women through my veins, hey is Bad Blood from Black Pistol Fire's new record, Don't Wake the Riot. And, you know, Eric isn't the first person to talk about Dave Grohl's drumming. Tom Green from Alt-J and Clellan from the band Boohoo 
both talked about Dave Grohl and how inspired they were by him. Like, I had never really thought about that aspect of Nirvana's reach before I started this podcast. I was 14 when Nevermind came out, and I knew that it changed pretty much the entire musical and cultural landscape, but I always thought of it as a mostly Kurt Cobain-led revolution, but I'm a singer and a songwriter, so that's where I get my perspective. And it still kind of bends my mind that Dave Grohl's drumming was every bit as powerful to the young drummers of the 90s as Kurt Cobain was to the young songwriters. By the way, I got to interview Butch Vig, who produced Nevermind and In Bloom for the podcast, and he's a drummer, and he was influenced by Keith Moon's drumming. So if you like drumming and drummers and their perspective, you may want to check that episode out. I'm going to pause for just a minute and ask that if you liked the story you just heard from Eric from Black Pistol Fire, then please go to iTunes and leave a rating or a review for this song. Ratings help us a lot. They help people find this podcast in the vast landscape of iTunes. And also, I'm not going to lie, they make the entire This Song team feel amazing. While you're there, you can subscribe to this song, and that way you'll get next week's episode with Robert DeLong and John Chow from Misha delivered right to you. And now for Aaron and Chip Adams. They run the independent record label, Modern Outsider, that's home to bands like Moving Panoramas, Dana Falconberry and Medicine Bow, Ume, and Black Pistol Fire. All bands that have been featured on this song, by the way. It's a really well-curated label. Aaron and Chip are married, hence the same last name, and they both came into KUTX to tell me about songs that set them on the course to be the kind of people who help other people's music be heard. So here they are, Aaron and Chip Adams. So um, for me, I was 15 years old, and um, the band is Suede um, from England. Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, was 15, so I couldn't drive with a license. Um, and one of my friends did have a license. He was a few months older than me. And um, had the CD in his car, car from Dog... The CD was Dogman Star from Suede. And um, he stole it, I think, from his older sister. <laughs> and <laughs> he put on the song Heroin, which not heroin the drug, heroin meaning lady, woman, you know, female. With an E. Heroin, with an E. <laughs> <laughs> And so I heard it, and it was one of those things where I had never heard a male sing in that vocal register before. Did you did you borrow the suede record? Did you go out and buy your own suede I went record? Out and buy it. I went out and did a hunt for it and found it and uh, bought it and listened to it on repeat over and over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> Was that the first time that you'd ever like gone on and sought something like sought a record out in that way? Yes, I had never heard um, the lyrics of a storytelling in that way before. 
Um, I'd grown up like on pop music and I'd grown up with doing ballet with classical and stuff. So I just hadn't heard, you know, songs structured in that way. And I think after I heard that, there's a whole series of events that happened that kind of led me down to, you know, finding other things beyond just what's easily spoon fed to you. Later on that summer, my family and I took a trip to um, England and France and Scotland. And so it's one of those things I'm like, hey, that band Suede, they're from here. And so we went to a record store and I bought a magazine um, because uh, Brett Anderson from Suede was on the cover. Um, and so I started reading it and then that's when I discovered like Blur. All these other British bands that I ended up falling in love with um, will be my favorite band still. <laughs> um, and so it's one of those things where it just kind of opened this door as a gateway for me to find these other things. It was just this very kind of like aha moment, like there's stuff out there that, you know, sounds completely different. It's um, different textures, different melodies, um, different vocal ranges, um, you know, different storytelling lyrics that, you know, aren't just easy to comprehend. There's a lot of, you know, um, symbolism, I guess, in the lyrics. And so now, I mean, um, now you own a record label and you put out music that is uh, more complex and more mm -hmm. challenging. Do you think that that was the genesis of that? Yeah, I really do. It was like that catalyst moment where, you know, I realized that there's a bigger world out there. Wow. Awesome. And now you get to provide records for other people and like show them like there is a whole world yep. underneath <laughs> underneath the pop stratosphere. Yeah. There's like a whole world of interesting music. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. What about you, Chip? Oh, wow. <clears throat> this was hard for me. And again, it was because there was a band that that really pushed me into wanting to start the label, but I kind of took the path Aaron did in terms of what song pushed me out of the the mainstream, you know, and, and I was raised on on pop music and country. That's what my parents listened to. So my my first records were like, you know, Thriller. You know, kid that was one 80s. of my first records. It's just the part of growing up. You were going to get Thriller and Off the Wall, um, you know, and my dad was really into Merle Haggard. You know, so so as a kid, that was my musical world. Um, you know, I got to pick out records every once in a while. I think the first record I ever bought was Peter Gabriel's So. In your eyes, the light, the heat. But there wasn't much time for me to go and buy records until junior high and high school. So I remember my best friend at the time, he and I, uh, I think this is 1990, and uh, again, way before we could drive. And uh, so his mom put us in the minivan and off we went to, it may have been Sound Warehouse, but I think it was at the mall. I think we went to like a Sam Goody or a Hastings or something like that. And I went and bought on cassette, I bought the B-52s, I bought Mesopotamia. But my friend Casey bought The Cure and he bought the, the mixed up remix compilation. I knew nothing about The Cure at all. And so he got to go first in the car and plopped it in. And the song Close to Me came on. 
I remember thinking to myself, like, what is this? You know, because again, I grew up on pop music and there's definitely a pop sensibility into what they do. But again, it's very different than what I was used to hearing. nerd junior high through college and I was a sax player um, and then that part hit at the end of the song I'm like oh my god like saxophone <laughs> is so cool now and so when I got home I made my mom take me back to the record store and I bought mixed up but I also bought the head on the door which would be the actual proper record that close to me came from and I just spent hours looping it trying to figure it out and talk about you know someone who's using his vocals in a way I'd never heard before but not just vocals there was squeals and breaths and just all these these bodily textures, I was just mesmerized by it. And that ended up being the band for me that's not only changed my musical direction going into the quote-unquote alternative world, but also becoming a record collector because I became obsessed with this band. And so we, my friend Casey and I would begin to go out to record shops and we were digging for the vinyl with the B-sides that then you couldn't get. Again, going to where we had no internet, so you couldn't go to Spotify and find these rare tracks. And there weren't compilations of these B-sides out. But as a collector, you had to have the just like 712 inch because it had this specific song on it. And I mean, it was nuts. It sounds like it sparked your record collecting. And do you still get obsessed? Like, do you still obsessively hunt down things like vinyl and rare seven inches? Like, is Record Store Day like a huge oh, yeah. deal for you? Because yeah. you can get like... I still like the tangible item. It's still album artwork is still important to me. And that's why with, with Modern Outsider, I mean, we've always been pressing since day one vinyl. Because I like people to be able to hold and see the artwork large and maybe even take the record out and look at the liner notes and see who produced it and who else played on it you know so to me that that's a big part of the collecting as well you don't i don't think you get the same experience by just clicking on it digitally and seeing a little postage stamp size of the cover art and <laughs> never learning who's in this band and you know who was involved that's that's just as big of a part to me so um but yeah we still dig for vinyl and, and that's fun now with our daughters she's kind of getting into the vinyl digging too so yeah it's that's that's what we do for fun you that's know? cool work work in music and then for fun and go do more music you know and so, do you think i mean it it sounds like the same with it aaron's experience of hearing that suede it was like the beginning of kind of what what you do now mm -hmm. I, that was kind of the first like the first yeah. the rock that rolls down the hill that it, becomes the avalanche of modern outsider really yeah really yeah. i mean at the time i would never have thought i mean because in, in the early 90s I mean, the whole concept of an indie label didn't even 
hit my mind. I didn't think that would be possible. I mean, I, I my dream was to be somehow involved with music at that point, but I didn't think it would be running a record label. But, yeah. But that that song and The Cure specifically did pave the way, at least musically, for me to find more in that realm. And then, you know, fast forward now, here we are with a label. It's nuts. Yeah. It's just nuts. You can hear Hard Luck from Black Pistol Fire, who are, of course, artists on Modern Outsider. And how beautiful is it, the way that Chip and Aaron have taken it upon themselves to try and help artists reach the audience that's looking for their music. Music that lets people see the iceberg under the tip that is the mainstream. And they do it not just to help the artists, but because they know that there are people out there that need that kind of music because they are those kind of people themselves. Black Pistol Fire was KUTX's Artist of the Month for the month of May. Artist of the Month is something we do here at KUTX where we feature one Austin band each month and we have them do a My KUTX guest DJ set where they spend an hour sharing their favorite music with the world and then they come into Studio 1A and we do a live performance and we just generally champion them and their music for an entire month. I'll post a link to everything that we did with them on the This Song page for this episode and I'll also post a link to Chip and Aaron's My KUTX guest DJ set. Yes, we invited Modern Outsider into our studio to tell you about their favorite music. And I'll post a link to Modern Outsiders' website so you can check out all their artists and maybe find your new favorite band. And that's it. We have come to the end of another episode of This Song. This Song is a production of KTX 98.9. This episode was produced and edited by David Sanger and me, Elizabeth McQueen, with help from Art Levy. I recorded both the Eric Owen and the Modern Outsider interviews. Thanks to Peter Babb and Deidre Gott for their help on this podcast. And it's true, our theme song is Mahoot by Austin's own excellent hardproof Afrobeat. You can email us at thissong at kutx.org or follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Snapchat. Our handle is at thissongkutx. Follow us on Facebook, or you can subscribe to this song along with the other KUTX podcasts, Liner Notes, Song of the Day, and Austin Music Minute on iTunes. And like I said, we'd love a rating or a review. Right on. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next time. KUT's next AT Explained live show is April 3rd. Brand new stories about Austin's people, places, and culture told live on stage by your favorite KUT journalists. I've never gotten any specific invites from Steiner Ranch. And that's about the time Charlie chomped down on that chicken. I will hypnotize you into securing my law services. Join us April 3rd at the Paramount Theater for KUT's next AT Explained Live. Tickets are on sale now. Get them at austintheater.org.
and we'll see you there.